Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome to Sounds Fake But Okay, a podcast where an arrow ace girl, I'm Sarah, that's me. And a demi-straight girl, that's me, Kayla. I'm Angela. I'm ace in panromantic. Talk about all things to do with love, relationships, sexuality, and pretty much anything else we just don't understand. On today's episode, Ace by Angela Chen. Sounds fake, but but okay. Welcome back to the pod. Microphone? I think I've definitely done that one before, but we were talking about microphones earlier, so it's what you get. And I don't feel like... We're just going to brush past it. I don't need to come up with another one. This is my podcast. Yeah, this is fine. All right. (laughs) Well, Kayla, what are we talking about this week? Today, we are talking to another amazing ace author about another amazing ace book. So today, Angela Chen is on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, So you have a book coming out. uh, When this podcast is released, it'll be coming out on tuesday september 15th right that's right so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the book and i guess why you um decided to write it just to give us a little bit of an intro yeah absolutely so the book is called ace and the short answer to why i decided to write it is because i am ace and around the time when i was figuring that out i was I was having this experience that I think a lot of people have, which is that I discovered asexuality, like the real, you know, the real meaning of asexuality. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Why did I know about it before? I want to talk about it with everyone. And then everyone that I try to talk about it with, you have to like spend a lot of time setting everything up, you know, like before you could talk about these topics like consent or feminism, you have to spend 30 minutes being like, okay, so there's this thing called asexuality, but it's like not what you think it is. And it's kind of like, how am I ever going to have these conversations with more than one person at a time in a faster way? And so for me, it was just actually very personal. It was like, I felt like understanding my own asexuality, being part of that world had really helped me understand myself. And I wanted other people to be able to see the ace lens, because I think that it's something that really enriches everyone's life, whether you're ace or not. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something I've seen or like felt more and more as we've done this podcast is just how beneficial kind of the ace lens is to people who aren't even ace. Um, Like recently, I've been seeing a ton of TikToks by like by women who are talking about how they're like attracted to men, but not really. And I'm like, if you would just use like the split model of attraction, I feel like you'd understand yourself so much better. But anyway, that's getting ahead of everything. But (laughs) Well, I also think that's a it's it's a it's a pretty universal experience for ASPEC people to like be like, okay, I have to explain this now. Like we 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 have an entire episode of our podcast that we call the TED Talk episode where we basically just like walk through asexuality because, you know, it's 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 exhausting to have to explain everything to people all the time. And so having having these touchstones can be helpful. Yeah. And I think what was different for me is that I'm a journalist, you know, like I'm ace and a journalist, but I was a journalist before I realized I was ace. So for me, there was a sense of like, I can do something about this, which I imagine is how you two felt with the podcast, you know, like I have the skills, I have the contacts, you know, I don't have to just be here feeling vaguely dissatisfied that no one else is talking about this. What can my role be? Although to be honest, I feel a little bit conflicted about that at times. So, Fair enough. Um, so I guess just to, I guess, kick things off since obviously people haven't read the book yet. So just to give, um, or do you want to give, I guess, Angela, kind of just like a synopsis of what the book is and kind of, I guess the, I don't want to say like the point of it, but I guess kind of your goal in writing it. Of course, you, you know, you said to kind of give the understanding of asexuality, but... Yeah, definitely. So like you said, to help everyone see what the ACE ace lens have to offer. So one part of it is about what is it like to be ACE? And, you know, I talk about many intersections, race, gender, disability, which I think are really important. And another part of it is about um, asexuality and relationships. And, you know, when we talk about what is the role of, um, like, what can asexuality teach us about consent? Or what does asexuality and romanticism, what does that teach us? about the ways that we privilege certain kinds of relationships 
what does that teach us about what sex is and how ace allo you know mixed couples um work together so yeah one part of it is just for people who don't know much about asexuality or have a very narrow idea to show them just how broad it is but the other part is i want everyone when they're reading it to stop and think oh you know what is do i experience romantic attraction instead of just taking it for granted that they do or you know oh for me is it is aesthetic attraction different from sexual attraction because there's all of these you know granular ways of thinking about things that are so valuable that most people don't bother to question well and there are even things in your book that as i was reading as someone who you know i've had a podcast about aceback issues for three years and i was like learning stuff about like the differences between like different types of attraction and like like the like more granular stuff and i was like you know even for someone who's been entrenched in this community like there's always still so much more to learn uh from others and from other people's experiences and i think it can be easy sometimes to forget on one hand, easy to forget, but on the other hand, impossible to forget that, like, the rest of the world doesn't see it that way. And the, the rest of the world is, like, it doesn't have this context. And so I was, I enjoyed, like, just, like, reading about other people's experiences. Yeah, and I think that, you know, even within the ACE community, which obviously is not perfect, you know, there's not a perfect understanding of issues like race. You know, there's not a perfect understanding of where does sexual assault and trauma fit, where does disability fit. So, you know, even if you are ace, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have the broadest view of what the community is or could be. And of course, I include myself in that because there's so much of the community that I don't know or understand and wasn't able to include, even if I do understand and know about those parts. Yeah, we're all we're all impacted by our own biases in terms of our own identities. Yeah. Yeah, I think kind of a large part of the book is one, you know, um, educating allow people about what asexuality is in general but like sarah said i think there's just so much that people especially when you are so entrenched in the community you might not take time to kind of think about it more broadly or kind of take a step out of it um and think about kind of the sexuality in general or as kind of more of a concept um so i think yeah there's really great opportunities in the book to like you said talk about disability and race um but something, I think I wrote this down as I was reading it as a note, like one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was kind of exploring asexuality, kind of its, um, I guess, ability to kind of be radicalized and to think about like how unique and special the asexual identity and lens is. I feel like a lot of asexual people who are maybe coming to terms with their identity, maybe, you know, don't see a lot of pros to their sexuality. But I think your book did this amazing job of talking about what the asexual lens and the asexual way of living maybe can like bring to other people and what it can provide to like the feminist lens and gender studies and things like that and like how it can really kind of revolutionize how everyone thinks about it. Yeah, and I think that when you're, writing about other people's stories in your own stories, especially in a book that will, you know, hopefully be read by a lot of people, it's difficult to be really careful and nuanced. I agree. I think most people when they first come to asexuality, it often can come from a place of feeling alienated, you know, and it's like, oh, I thought I was the only one and you commiserate over all the ways that compulsory sexuality has affected your life. And so I feel like it's important to have space for that and to also have space um, for feeling ambivalent about asexuality. In places in the book, I write about how I'm ambivalent, you know, how I've internalized asexuality, but also to kind of look beyond that, you know, and do the next step and what can a joyful ace life look like? What gifts have I been given? Um, what is a way of thinking about asexuality that is not a lack um, or, you know, missing something? So there's a lot of levels of, of the journey, and I thought it was important to try to include them all. But kind of related to what you were saying, which is that a lot of the books about educating allo people, I feel like I'm still conflicted about that. You know, like I think that the book, obviously I'm biased, but I think the book is, will be important and useful. But a part of me is almost like, oh, should we be spending this much time trying to explain ourselves and defend ourselves? to allos, especially with all the conversations we're having now around, you know, racial justice in the U.S., like, you'll hear over and over, like, you know, people of color don't owe white people their labor, you know, and this is a form of labor. And especially, I, I think about the role that respectability politics plays in the way that I wrote the book. 
So stop me if I'm getting too in the weeds or, you know, this is off track. But by nature, I think I am a pretty kind of uh, soft-spoken person. But I think at some point in the book, I found myself wanting to be less reasonable. You know, I wanted, at one point, I felt this impulse to be like, oh, fuck aloe people. And, you know, like, fuck the compulsory sexuality and not be this, like, very, like, polite kind of polished person that I think I come across in the book but in a sense I felt like I couldn't do that because I think we're still in the stages where respectability politics maybe does kind of matter I don't know I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it like I feel like we're still in the stages where asexuality is still so misunderstood and there's not enough awareness that a book like that wouldn't be well received and so I see it almost as laying more groundwork so that people after me can be more aggressive and critique my book and build a broader canon. I think you're right. I mean, if you look at, I mean, if you if you look at like the asexual community or aspec communities generally, like on one hand, it is important that other people uh, understand these identities and like uh, be able to view things through this ace lens. But on the other hand, it's like, I, it's it's kind of like the whole like, I, I don't feel like giving a TED talk every time that I have to like explain my sexuality. It's like, it shouldn't be expected of us to have to do this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, how else are they going to find out? Because no one knows about asexuality, like broadly. I mean, obviously that's a generalization. But like, you know, people aren't necessarily uh, seeking out information about asexuality or, you know, the split model on their own. And so it's kind of like a weird balancing act of like, well, I want other people to be uh made aware of this but also i'm tired man (laughs) like (laughs) yeah i feel like this is something i've seen come up more and more recently online or maybe just because i'm spending more time online in the ace community i'm seeing it more i don't really know which one came first but something i've noticed is that i feel like i've seen people starting to slowly kind of push back against the idea that you were talking about of feeling the need to like explain ourselves Um, or feeling the need to, you know, like really baby aloe people and really go through and educate them in a super polite way. I feel like recently I've seen people talk about, you know, we shouldn't be catering aceness to the aloes just so they understand and respect us. Um, And I've seen people talking about, you know, like the ace symbol is like cake. And I've seen people talking about, you know, if we keep having that, then aloe people are going to see us as juvenile and they're not going to respect us. And it's just like very weird kind of growing pain that I feel like I keep seeing happening of the ASPEC community has been pushing for so many years to gain visibility. And now that we have a little bit, people are kind of starting to wonder, like, do we really need to focus all of our energy on visibility or can we just like live our own lives for a second and like not have to worry about what our community looks like to the outside? And once you have that visibility, what do you do with it? Mm hmm. Absolutely. And I think these are questions that are so important that I think about. And of course, you know, where does my book fit in with that? You know, because of course, ace, you know, asexuality has more visibility than it did in 2001. But how much has that really brought us? You know, Mm. like, I think that there has obviously been ace organizing, but I would like to see more, you know, I feel like, like, does it matter if if you're organizing specifically for asexuality or should it matter more that you're organizing around a certain like very specific cause like if, like stuff around the dsm like does it matter if you're organizing for that because you're asexual i don't know if i'm i don't think i'm getting this across quite very very well i guess there's just a very nuanced line you have to walk where i think everyone wants to be understood and you want to and connection is important and i think that many people who don't understand they're not malicious. Most people I know, they just are maybe not very curious and they would want to learn, but it gets tiring. So where is the line between catering aceness to make it digestible for aloes? And where is the line between like a true genuine attempt to understand for coalition building? You know, I think that those are real questions. And everyone has been so like brainwashed by like, allo normativity and a matter normativity that it's like you know it, of course they're not thinking about these things if we don't bring them up to them because you know the society has made them think that this is how it is and that's something that you get into a lot in the book of like there's so much like compulsory sexuality and like all these things that are like they're just like 
hammered into our brains from such young age that it takes a lot of unlearning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every, I feel like every day I remember something that was an example of some sort of compulsory sexuality that I just didn't notice. Just recently, I was thinking about um, historic materials. Did either of you read that? I didn't, but I know a little bit about it. I don't think I did. Anyway, all that matters is that you have these daemons, which is like your soul and the animals and they shapeshift. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is that like if your lover puts their hands on the daemon, then they like stay the same shape. And, you know, adults are daemons who, adults have daemons who are the same shape. I just never thought about it until recently when I was like, oh, I wonder what it means for ace people. Like, do their daemons just never settle? And does that mean they're going to be seen as juvenile forever? You know, like, of course, I didn't think about that when I was 12 or whatever, yeah. reading those books. But now more and more examples come to mind just hits differently once you can put on the ace what glasses yeah so i guess kind of going along with i guess kind of feeling conflicted about um you know how you were writing the book and writing the book i'm wondering if i guess how much pressure and how difficult it was to write it especially since there's so little writing about asexuality or kind of major published in any way representation if you kind of felt like a heavy burden and if that made it difficult to write the book yeah I felt a huge burden and of course I'm sure you know no book is perfect I'm sure there's some things I got wrong something I think about a lot is that when I was in the proposal phase so meeting with various um publishing houses there was a fairly large publishing house that was interested but they actually wanted it to be a book about desire broadly and they were like oh maybe asexuality could be a chapter in it and at the time you know i wanted to write about asexuality i wanted a book deal i wanted to make this project happen so i was like okay and that didn't end up going through but i just think about that a lot because here i am being like asexuality is such a huge topic how am i gonna do it justice how am i going to um you know, be respectful. And then people at these publishing houses are like, why don't you make asexuality a chapter in a larger book? And I think that's just so emblematic of the tension here. But yeah, that, I feel that pressure, I feel that pressure every day when I was writing the book, because no one book can or should be the ace book. You know, there should be a canon of books where we disagree with each other and build upon each other. But the reality is, I don't know when the next book about asexuality is going to be published or bought and so I knew that if people write read this one there might not be another one and so I think that comes through in the book itself I tried really really hard to cover a wide variety of ace experience and I'm glad I did that you know I think it's a responsible thing to do but if there was this broader ace canon I think the book would have been narrower I think the book would have focused more maybe on the topics that maybe particularly interest me. I'm a science reporter, so like the disability medicalization stuff has been fascinating. There was so much stuff I couldn't include because I had to try to cover my bases and make, um, try to make sure I could get as many voices as I could. So yeah, that pressure has always been there. I imagine uh, in the creation of this, you were working primarily with aloe people. Did you you know, have any trouble with that? I mean, I know that the one publishing house wanted to kind of like sideline asexuality, but like, even with the publisher that you ended up going with, like, did you ever feel like you had to like, uh, like, kind of push back on people or whether where their ignorance of aspec issues became an issue? I don't think so. Um, Beacon, my publisher is like, pretty well known for doing a lot of stuff around social studies, you know, genders, uh, social justice. So I don't think that was the case. I think, you know, sometimes we'll think about how to market the book. And, you know, may, I'll be like, oh, we should focus more on the reporting instead of doing another, like, 10 myths about asexuality busted. So there's some of those conversations. But in general, even though I think I worked with only aloes um, during the period, I think everyone was respectful. So I had a good experience in that way. You found the right aloes to work with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a good aloes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, I guess, going back, what you're saying about the asexual canon is really interesting. I think it's been a couple years since I did this, so I don't know what's been published since then. But I like was doing research in college for some of my classes and reading like research papers and articles that people had written about asexuality. Kayla, were you in a feminism class? <laughs> I was in a feminism <laughs> class. Um, if for people that listen to the podcast regularly, when I was in my feminism class and doing research, I never shut up about she it. She wouldn't shut up about it. Everyone was very annoyed with it. Um, but the 
there were so few major articles about asexuality that I feel like it they were kind of struggling with the same thing where you couldn't really focus in on one specific subject. You kind of had to cover asexuality broadly and they kind of, in the articles, would always start with, you know, in 2001, Avon was started and blah, blah, blah. Here's the definition of asexuality. And they weren't able to do really nuanced studies. Um, not saying that they weren't good because of that. Some of them just weren't good because they were obviously written by aloe people who didn't know what they were doing. But... Um, it's, I think it's just like an interesting thing to think about and something that hopefully, you know, progresses over time that more things get written and everyone can kind of do exactly what they want without having to worry about, you know, everything else. Yeah, I just wonder what will be necessary for that to happen, because I do think that many people think of asexuality as a subculture, which is which it is. But I think about it only as a subculture, you know, like even though asexuality um comes up in so many of these other political issues that we talk about, when most people learn about it, and me, when I first learned about it when I was a teenager, it's like, oh, you know, it's an interesting fact, you know, but what is there beyond that? Like, it, it sometimes feels to me like there needs to be a big shift before we start thinking about how asexuality intersects with other things. I think that's why I use the, the term ace lens, because that's how I think about it. You know, in journalism, a lot of times, you know, of course, journalism is very white. So, you know, publications will hire like a race and identity reporter. And, you know, all the, you know, non-reporters I know were like, okay, that's good. That's a start. But race is part of everything. Why don't you just hire, you know, for example, a black reporter who writes about economics and they can also tackle the, you know, the race side of it. It doesn't need to be a like silo thing like that. And I wish people would think about asexuality and you know, sexuality in general, like that too, like it's a lens, not necessarily a topic. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that we're kind of living in the moment of asexuality as a sexuality and identity, like is growing, because I feel like it's easy to look in like a history book of like a queer history class and say like, in this time period is when, you know, gay rights was a huge movement. And in this time period, this is when, you know, like homosexuality became like a concept. And you're able to easily track exactly what happened for it to like get to that mainstream kind of point. Um, but it's, you know, we're kind of in this unique situation, which for asexuality, we're living in that time. And, you know, it's just kind of, like you said, waiting to see, like, what is gonna, what is it gonna take for us to kind of get there? I never thought about it that way. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> we're history, Sarah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I really wonder, though, I don't know, because back in, I want to say 2012, The Atlantic or some other like pretty big publication, they published this article, it's called like the third phase of the asexual movement. Uh, you know, I don't know if that was the exact title, but it had the words like third phase. And I was like, third phase? How can it be in a third phase when people still don't know what asexuality is, yeah. you know? For me, I agree, like we are in this era where very, very slowly, asexuality is, you know, becoming more known. But it doesn't, it almost, to me, it almost doesn't seem like it's moving that much, you know, aside mm -hmm. from Bojack, how much real progress have we made in the past 10 years or so. And I think another question is, what would progress, what does progress look like, you know, because progress has to be more than just having more ace characters, though, of course, you know, that's important for many reasons. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely hard to kind of see and also just, yeah, like you said, kind of frustrating how slow everything is moving. So kind of switching topics a bit, but you mentioned while we were talking that, you know, you were able to interview a lot of different people and get a lot of different perspectives, um, which, you know, led to all of the various topics that are covered. So um, I'm really curious about just kind of the interviewing process because it's such a big part of your book. Um, so I'm kind of curious, like, how many people you interviewed and what that whole process actually really looked like. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I think I interviewed close to 100 people. Not all of them made it in the book, of, of course, you know, and some people in the book, you know, they have like a little profile of them. Some people are just kind of um, have shorter sections. I reached out to just eight people I know and was like, can you ask other people, you know, be willing. I posted on groups, I posted on Reddit, I reached out to various orgs and asked if they would be willing to ask if people would speak to me. So that's kind of how I went into the sourcing. I think that me being ace definitely helped build trust um, with my sources. You know, 
they knew I wasn't going to ask them dumb one, one-on-one questions or like super offensive, invasive questions. In most cases, I did it over the phone a few times I met in person. And for me, it was really important to that I really understood um, everything they were saying. So I actually sent um, my drafts to people um, as I was writing the piece and then what kind of went back and forth, like, is this wording correct? Am I understanding you? Which frankly is not what you're supposed to do in a traditional um, journalism environment. I would never do that in one of the pieces that I, you know, write for publications. But I just didn't see the book as like a gotcha kind of thing. You know, I think I am critical of um, like some elements of asexual culture. I think there are ways in which we could do better. But like all the people who spoke to me were being very honest and vulnerable and you know, taking a big risk. And that was important to me. And I think that, you know, I hope they enjoy talking to me, but I, I think many times talking to them um, helped me grapple with things too. Cause I don't think I talked to that many ace people before my life, frankly, before doing this interview, yeah. all of these interviews. Yeah. I'm kind of curious, maybe this is jumping to a different question, but um, just kind of what you learned, I guess. And if there's anything that as you were writing or interviewing, that was a huge like learning moment for you or kind of like changed the way that you think about asexuality or the aspect community. I think that there wasn't that much that I learned in terms of facts. You know, I'd done a lot of research beforehand. You had been part of the community. So it wasn't like I suddenly learned about the split model of attraction. I think what changed things for me was seeing people who were just so, unapologetic about being ace. For me, you know, intellectually, of course, I realize that there's nothing wrong with being ace and ace is a gift and all of that. Emotionally, like, you know, there were some times where I didn't feel that way. And a part of me was like, oh, that's just, that's just how it is. You know, like, if you're ace, of course, you're gonna feel that. But then I would meet these people who were like, oh, I thought it was something that was cool about me. It was another way I was unique. Um, it was another way that made me stand out. Um, it's something that I like about myself. And, you know, it sounds so dumb, like, of course, there exist people who like themselves. But I think really talking to specific people like that and knowing about their lives and like the very specific details of their experiences, that really changed me emotionally, because it kind of, you know, shocked me out of this lazy narrative I had in my head, which is related to what we were talking about earlier, which was that like aces are kind of connected by, um, you know, being oppressed by compulsory sexuality, like that's there. But like meeting people for whom like, they just did not care and they had different personalities in me and they had the chest pod to do that. Like that was powerful for me. I really appreciated how honest you were in the book about your own experience, kind of like coming to terms with your asexuality. Um, Cause I mean, in, in this book, you, you talk about a lot of other people's experiences, but you do go into a decent amount of detail um, on your own kind of journey. And I appreciated the honesty and being like, you know, it's still something you struggle with. You wrote a whole book about it and you're still kind of like, well, I feel like I need to qualify everything about myself and that sort of thing and I and I appreciated the honesty there because I think that's something that it's so common in the ace community and ace spec communities where people are like well everyone else is just like really happy with it and that's fine and it's like no it's something that a lot of us are still struggle with especially because of you know we were raised with compulsory sexuality it's something that we have to unlearn and it's uh it's difficult to to apply to yourself sometimes and it can be harder for some people than it is for others. You know, like if you happen to be naturally someone who's a little more shy, a little more anxious, like I am, then, you know, you might have more trouble than someone who has kind of a self-image of themselves as a rebel anyway. It's interesting, though, because in the book, of course, because I wrote it, I have a lot of choice in how I present myself. And I think I read about this, but I was seriously tempted to like really manage other people's impressions of me, you know, like even as I was writing about how compulsory sexuality is bad, there was a part of me that's like, I like really want to tell you that like about how cool I am and like not prove <laughs> and all of that. And I had to let go of that. And I had to be like, I want to tell you these things, but I'm not, I'm not going to defend myself. Like even in, even when I'm saying that I shouldn't have to defend myself, but kind of another example of that is, you know, I write about someone who is aromantic, but not asexual and he's a man. And I write a little bit about how intellectually like, of course, I know that if people can be aromantic um, and asexual, they can be aromantic and not asexual. Um, but there were these gender stereotypes that I kind of internalized, you know, and so I had this idea that, 
a woman who was aloe and aromantic was, you know, badass and independent, but a man, like, is he really, or is this some kind of, you know, is this like a way to justify bad behavior? And talking to him, I think that was a surprise. It wasn't a surprise, but it changed things for me. Like it made what I knew intellectually to be true, to hear about his experience. But it was kind of hard for me to write about that, to write about my own prejudices. But I feel like, you know, there is no purity. All of us have reactions, but we just have to do our best to, you know, not go with our reactions, but go with our morals and our ethics. But yeah, I mean, I worry a little bit about that, about people, you know, accusing me of having gendered stereotypes, which I did and probably still do. I thought that was honestly one of the biggest points of the book for me where I really identified. That was like one of the points in the book that I remember most because I had the same thing. Like I remember specifically a couple points in like my journey of learning about asexuality where maybe it was like when Sarah was explaining things or we had a friend that I don't know that he is arrow and not ace but looking back it kind of like I can see how that was kind of like at least a lifestyle that he was kind of putting forth and I remember vividly like having those same thoughts of like oh well that's just a guy like just trying to like have sex without feelings and blah 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 whatever and seeing you write about it and write about how you kind of learned from that experience and learned from that interview was really huge and that's like Sarah said I really appreciated how honest you were about that because it allowed me to be honest with myself of like oh yeah like I thought that too and that's probably not great but like so did Angela so like we can both learn and be fine. Well, and and you show that, like, aces can have these prejudices, too. Like, if there's an aloe reading this book, it's like, it's okay. We we literally all have this problem. All people have prejudices. There's nothing that can be done about it. But, you know, just try and inform yourself and, and, you know, do better. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just really hard for marginalized groups, um, any marginalized groups, really, to express um, their prejudices or express their ambivalence as we talk about because we're so used to digging in and defending our ground right so every time we're like maybe I don't always love being asexual or maybe I you know have internalized asexual it feels like you're giving in to the people to the people who you know deny that asexuality doesn't exist like we should all have the ability to speak honestly about you know complex conversations but when you spend so much time still being like it's not celibacy it's not necessarily you know any it's not it's not anything bad it's not going to harm your life you feel like you don't get the space to voice your true feelings yeah i think somewhat similarly but maybe not is um and this is something that you covered in your book as well as the intersection of race and asexuality as well and i think um it's you know obviously asexuality is very white at least it looks very white from the outside and i think that's one of the biggest issues in the community right now um especially because kind of similarly to what you're saying if our whole community is kind of used to you know sticking our ground and saying you know no we're a real thing and we're very progressive and these are you know we're very accepting and so when we're faced with the idea of like oh maybe we're like kind of pretty racist sometimes like it's very hard as a community i think to accept that like, oh, we are not perfect and we have some things to work through. And that's something I think that you covered really well in the book as well. Yeah, I mean, both things can exist. Like this can be an affirming, wonderful community that should exist. And sometimes it's not affirming and wonderful for everyone and people in the community do harm as people in every community do. But, you know, defensiveness really shuts down the ability to hold those ideas together. I... I guess sort of similarly as well. I I really appreciated that you spent so much time kind of hammering home the idea that sex is in every way political. Um, And I think it's an incredibly important point and something I hadn't really considered to, to a great extent prior to reading this book. Can you just kind of explain the basics of what that means and why you felt it was important to emphasize? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, asexuality, which is, you know, like I said, it's like centered around not wanting something. So what is this thing that you don't want? You know, we have to define it. And there's kind of levels to the idea that sex is political. The first is sex sex is totally socially constructed, right? When most people think of sex, they think of heterosexual, you know, penis and vagina sex. But that doesn't have to be what sex is. Like, why is some stuff called foreplay and not sex? You know, around the world, ideas of what sex is is very different. Not every culture 
sees kissing as romantic. You know, we think of sex as this really, um, I think someone's called it like ahistoric. It's just a primal thing. It just is. But of course, it's filtered through the lens of culture. So that's one way in which it's very political. But the other way is that whatever your definition of sex is, even if it's going with like the PIV definition, it's, I don't think you can separate it from politics. You know, women especially have been shamed and there's double standards. And if you're not straight, if you're not cis, like there's all of, it's, it's so connected to what you believe about people's, um, people's rights. Um, it's connected to what you believe about how much desire people should have. Like, it's not just something that you can do that um, is value neutral. Like there are so many morals of so many kinds attached to sex and it, all of that is connected in so many ways to what we believe about so many other things. It fits into people's frameworks in many different ways. It's not neutral, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. And it yeah. intersects with identities like race and stuff too. Like it's all it's all connected, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I guess a common argument, I feel like, or just statement from Allos especially is like, oh, it's sex. It's natural. It's primal, like you were saying. And especially for ace people, I think that can be very alienating. Um, and it's kind of, you know, a way that sex is kind of used, you know, to prejudice against, like Sarah was saying, different races, you know, the over-sexualization of black women or... Um, to prejudice against different sexualities. So, you know, it's it's definitely not just kind of like its own thing all on its own. Right. And the thing is, even if it is natural, that doesn't mean it's good, right? I'm Like, I think murder is probably natural in some sense, too. <laughs> but I think what is ethical and, you know, thinking of that is more important than what is natural or what is normal and what is common. Yeah. Yes. People have been murdering each other for a long time. <laughs> doesn't mean I recommend yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of kind of the over-sexualization of black women, I guess, um, we, before the podcast, had talked to or mentioned to Angela that we wanted to talk about WAP. Um, and I also wanted to share some thoughts that Yasmin Benoit had, who is actually in your book, which is awesome. But um, she's like the only other ace person I've seen talking about WAP. I guess I should, WAP, WAP is the WAP? song. WAP? <laughs> I think it's WAP. I've wow. watched the TikToks many times. I think she says WAP. WAP. Oh, I'm sorry, Cardi. It's a song by Cardi B about uh, lots of sex things. So a lot of sex. Um, so kind of given the politics of sexuality and sex and also um, something that you talk a lot about in the book, which was very near and dear to my heart because I did a research project about it in my feminism class, was um, kind of the empowerment of women through sex and what that means for asexual people if like you know, the consent and like having sex is good. You know, what does that mean for me anyway? Um, yeah, I wanted is there a question. We here? Wanted, yeah. <laughs> just talking about WAP. I think we were kind of interested in given kind of everything you've written about and, you know, this deep dive you've done into asexuality. Like, what do you think about WAP and like from an ace lens, like what does it mean for us at all? I have so many complicated feelings. You know, the first time I saw it, I was like, the video is fun, but what is this wet and gushy? Like, I didn't realize I was listening to the clean version. And I was like, this doesn't even grammatically make sense. And then I also have this thing where if I hear anything long enough, um, I will just kind of warm up to it, which I think is like a character flaw or something. So, I mean, I think it's fun. I think it's funny. But I also think there's just so many layers to how I feel. Like, I feel I feel like there's two, there's different things happening in the song so get ready for like a close read of WAP yes. there's a part where but you know there's a part where she was like I want this I want that and that's like her speaking about her desire and you know I think maybe in some way this plays into this idea that if you if you want sex then you're more feminist and fun than if you don't but I agree when people say you know male rappers have been talking this way about women for so long like why shouldn't they be able to talk about how they you know their own desire so I feel fine with that and then there's this other part where I think it's mostly Megan's um, verse where it's less about what she wants and it's more about like the power of you know her pussy basically you know like bought a new phone paid a tuition and I feel like I have more ambivalent thoughts about that like I can see the value of you know talking frankly about sexuality but the idea that like you are so valued for that like you are so powerful because of um 
you're good at sex. Like, I guess I feel more ambivalent about. But what I keep thinking about is 10 years ago, before I realized I was ace, I think my opinions would have been pretty much the same, you know, that it's complicated, there's good parts and there's bad parts. But now that I am ace, I feel like there's almost, I feel like I almost question myself more. Like, am I just saying this because I'm ace? Like, like, of course, you know, someone who's ace would like find this to find this objectionable in some ways. So do you have any of that at all? Do you, do you ever have an opinion? And like, is it quote unquote, just because I'm ace? Like, I don't think that even makes sense. But there's like that voice in my head that I have sometimes. I it's not exactly the same for me. Because I like I look at a song like that. I haven't even listened to it in full because I'm like, I get the gist. I saw that <laughs> horrible video of Ben Shapiro just reading the lyrics. Um, and uh, it's like, I know what's happening. And like, a lot of the lyrics make me very uncomfortable. But like, I'm almost going in the opposite direction where it's like, well, no, I I want women to be able to empower themselves however they want to. And like, you know, women should be able to talk about this. Men do it all the time. And so I'm almost like in the other direction where I'm like, you know, of course this is good. And then I'm like, well, we also need to consider the other side of it. Like, you know, empowerment is great and talking about this is great, but it shouldn't be the only way to empower yourself or the only way to kind of talk about sex mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i just sometimes feel like there's not that much room it's like if you don't love wap then you are ben shapiro and i'm yeah. definitely not ben shapiro you know mm -hmm. so like where's like is there a place where it's kind of a feminist anthem but also kind of not a feminist anthem yeah like for me and i read this in the book it's like i like explicit content i don't have a problem with it it just feels imbalanced but i also don't know how to write a cool song like if i try to write like a version of wap like you would sound like kids bop, you know? So like, I'm not the person to um, kids bring wop, in. Kids if you will. Yeah, kids wop. What a horrible thought. <laughs> I think that's, that's a really interesting thing and like hard thing to work through though is the fact that like, okay, maybe I don't like WAP and maybe it is because I'm ace. That doesn't invalidate it. But like you said, like if you don't like WAP or some other feminist anthem, then people are just going to shut you down and say that you're, you know, anti-feminist or you hate women or something like you're that. You're Ben Shapiro. You're <laughs> Ben Shapiro. I think I saw something, I don't know if this is similar at all, but it feels similar to me, is people were recently making fun of Melania Trump for, like, not speaking English well and also for, like, dressing very scandalously when she was younger. And then a bunch of women were like, well, now I have to defend Melania Trump because even though I hate her, like, we can't be talking about women like this. And it feels like a kind of similar thing where you're like, okay, I do want to critique this, but, like, not for the reason you think. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I will defend WAP against Ben Shapiro. But if there were no Ben Shapiro, then I would feel more free to say some of my criticisms of it. Everything's yeah. just so binary. Like, there's a, it's either you love yeah, it or you binary. hate it. The binary is canceled. <laughs> Cancel culture, please come for the binary. <laughs> Agreed. I do want to read what Yasmin wrote about it because I think it's really interesting, like her lens on it. This was from her stories, but she sent it screenshots to me when I asked because. Wow. Why not? We um, have so much weight in the asexual community. <laughs> we can get oh, yeah. Yasmin to send us screenshots. Oh, yeah. It's big stuff. Um, so basically, some of what she was saying was how she didn't find it like any different than like Anaconda by Nicki Minaj and kind of going into more of like the rap and the music, um, which is interesting, but not what we're talking about. Um, so she basically was saying that uh, you know, if someone could find her like chart topping songs by black women in the last few years that don't contain lyrics about their genitals or having sex, then she'd be curious to know um, because um, so what she said was, don't let the media fool you into thinking that it's just cis straight men who cringed at WAP and that it's anti-feminist for anyone to think that song and video just contributed to the, wi the wider issue of hypersexualization of black women in mainstream music. That narrative is just being pushed, this, pushed um, to silence the voices of black women who are rightfully tired. So I think it's like what we're just saying is there's people who have legitimate concerns with this song, but then they're being shut down because, you know, it's supposed to be this big anthem where rightfully so black women may be like, okay, but like I'm tired of being sexualized this much, even though it is Cardi B's right to do that if she wishes. So it's very, it's just very complicated. Yeah. I mean, we just need an ace Cardi B. Like, that's where so are true. you in Cardi B? This will solve our problems. God, that's so true. We got to find it. We got to find that person. 
Wow. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm just thinking about WAP. Um, <laughs> it's, um, this is a hard pivot, but it was inevitable after talking about WAP. Um, is there <laughs> anything that... Uh, I mean, you actually did mention earlier that there was stuff that didn't make it in the book that you you know wanted to talk about. Like, I guess, what, what were those things? What are the things that you wish that you could have uh, gone into more detail on? thing that I'm really interested in is kind of the relationship between like asexuality and aromanticism and beauty you know like I think a lot of people who are arrow ace get the whole like you're so lucky like if I were arrow ace I would just never care about how I looked or I know people who are ace who who are physically attractive and other people will say things like oh like it's a shame that you're ace and there's just such loaded there's there's very loaded phrases right Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to explore that more like what does like the relationship between power and beauty and like being aromantic or asexual and there was you know I want to talk a little bit more about dating in my book than I did and I want to talk a little bit more about I mean maybe this is just me trying to um burn myself again but about more of my own hypocrisy where I've never had in you know I I read this I've never had an ace partner like explore more like how even though I am ace like it felt important to me to be sexually desired and what did that mean and where did that come from like these were some of the topics that um, I wanted to talk about more but didn't have room for yeah I hope you do like eventually have a place to talk about those or someone else because I think those are really interesting topics and especially with beauty with like Yasmin on the mind. I know like she posted recently a picture of her, you know, like modeling and a bunch of trolls were like, you're such a tease. Like, what's the point of you looking like that? If you're going to be asexual, like it's not fair to do that to us. And it's just like this whole weird thing of like, well, she wasn't doing it for you anyway. Literally get out of here. After looking at that, like I, I'm the kind of person who like, I don't feel comfortable coming across as like sexy or whatever. But after reading that post of Yasmin's, I was like, I guess I'm going to have to become a lingerie model too, just to piss off all these people. (laughs) I know. It's just, yeah, it's all very complicated. Like I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. And then at the same time, it's like, is it okay if you, I mean, it is okay, but like there are people who do dress sexy, including ace people for others. And that's fine too. And you know, I don't like ace experiences don't need to invalidate each other, but Mm -hmm. because so many things feel like they're still burgeoning. Sometimes, you know, people will be like, this ace person did this and use it to disprove some other ace person. Yeah, I mean, I I even struggle that, with that myself because as a cis white person who was both arrow and ace and is also a woman where, like, asexuality is a little bit more accepted for women than for men. Like, I'm like, you talked about, like, being like a gold star ace and I'm like, Obviously, gold star aces don't exist, as you as you say in the book. But like, I'm kind of close to what a gold star ace would be. <laughs> Not to brag, but like, <laughs> and and like, I haven't ever like dated anyone. But like, you know, my um, identity is is easier to explain to to people than um, some other aspect identities. And so, like, on one hand, it's like. Yes, I do want to simplify it so that you can understand me. But on the other hand, I I want to make clear that this is not the only way to be. And just because I my identity is easier for you to understand doesn't mean that you can just stop paying attention and like stop trying. Uh, and that's a whole fun thing to think about. <laughs> yeah, the way that every, well, almost every ace identity comes with asterisks. Like for me, you know, I'm in a relationship and I'm not celibate. And so of course there's all of these questions, you know, about like, what does that mean? And how are you ace? And I have to be like, well, there are people who are sex repulsed. And, you know, it, it goes back to what we were saying, like sometimes it requires a TED talk and that's exhausting. And sometimes it doesn't require a TED talk, but then you kind of feel like you need to give a TED talk anyway, just mm-hmm. to cover your bases. Just to make sure. Yeah. 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 So speaking of dating, um, you wrote about kind of like your past relationships and your current relationships. Um, So, and so obviously, you know, you wrote about it, but I'm kind of curious about um, what your, I guess, experience and relationship with dating has been and like how your aceness has played into that. I think that 
what I keep thinking is that if I were to be single again, I would be very afraid to date. Um, because each one of my relationships, um, they were like long distance or we were like internet friends for a long time. And then we basically transitioned from being friends to being romantic partners. And now I'm just like, do I have the stamina to be internet friends, to like find people on the internet and be friends with them for a year? It's like, I'm, no, I'm old now. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have time for that. Yeah. So, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, the way that is typical for most kind of little people to date, you know, like you hang out and you hook up and then you, and if you don't have sex on like pretty soon or the third date, then it's not a relationship. Like that just doesn't work for a lot of people. And I don't even mean it doesn't work for a lot of ace people. I think it just doesn't work for a lot of people in general, but it's so normalized as the way to date and people don't feel like there's other ways. There was um, a professor at Boston University or something who for extra credit made her, well, let her students um, like ask someone else out on like a traditional date, you know, like, and it was just because she wanted to find ways of teaching them that there's different avenues for entering romance, you know, like asking someone out officially is a little different from just like you hook up at, you know, a club or it's like very unclear. And so I think about that a lot, you know, dating really has a set script and I've kind of been lucky with it, but it took massive amounts of time and energy, and I would like to not have to do that anymore. But I think the reality is that we're not quite ready for that, and that if you want to circumvent a typical dating script, you will have to just put in a lot more effort to do that. Well, dating has yeah. such a script that when we were in college, like are the people who lived in our house with us all created a relationship spectrum like to kind of like explain because like people are always like oh I'm talking or we're like dating but we're not exclusive and we were like what does any of that mean <laughs> and so we kind of like made a whole spectrum and it's like I mean that is like the standard script and you don't necessarily have to follow it but so many people do that there that there is a standard yeah and I think I mean, maybe this is more of an issue in college because I think as most people get older, you get more confident and you're less afraid of not seeming normal. But I think especially when you're younger, it's kind of like, I just don't want to create any more trouble for this person. You know, like you could ask, you could just explain to someone that you're ace, but sometimes it feels like, oh, like, is that too early? Um, do I need to wait? Like, I think there's so many questions around how to quote unquote be normal around dating uh, that it makes things hard. Yeah, I think I experienced kind of the same thing. I think like the older I've gotten and the more time has gone on, I've been like more openly A-spec, I guess. And just like throughout college, it's something that was like a bigger part of my life. And towards like the end of college when I was dating, I think it became a bigger thing of like, okay, now I am like openly demisexual. Now it's like a big part of my identity and I'm dating again, like I'm single again. I do have to like address this. I can't just date like normal people because I tried and I didn't like it so I think it's it's yeah it's just this very kind of awkward thing that like as much as you want to just go with like what everyone else is doing it's just like you you for me at least I like physically couldn't because like it's not what I actually wanted to do and it's just you have you have to out yourself and then you have to give a TED talk and then it's just like a yeah. whole thing yeah I had yeah yeah one time I, like, I was out on, like, a dating profile, and I started dating a guy, and then he, like, immediately told his friends I was Demi, so the first time I met them, they were like, oh, so, like, you're demisexual, what is that? And I was like, oh, hello, 10 new strangers, I guess I'm giving you a TED Talk now, and it's just like, why do we all have to do this? Yeah, and I think that's why, um, for a while, like, in between relationships, I didn't put that I was asexual on my, on my, on my dating profiles, partly because, um, I guess partly because I wanted to trick them. I think that was actually my, <laughs> my motivation. Like in my mind, I was like, okay, like, you know, if, if it's not going well, then it's not going well. We can just stop seeing each other and we'll never have to have the ace conversation. If it's going well, then they will like me so much that we can have it then once they already have developed a connection, which as I'm talking about it, like sounds manipulative. And I think it was a little bit, but I just really did not want to have that conversation and I didn't want to have it over and over again I think now I would do it differently I'd be more open about it but at the time it was like this just takes so much energy yeah. and I'm not gonna deal with it if we're not going if there's not serious potential for us yeah I think that's totally fair like why would you want to put yourself through that emotional labor 
Yeah, so much emotional labor. But it's funny because even with me, there's a question. Like sometimes I'm asking myself, like, am I out? Because it's so stupid because you Google my name, like the books can come up like, yes. But from instance, my parents don't know because they don't really care about my career. And I don't bring it up that much um, in, in conversation. And so, you know, we think about out as a binary, right? Like you're out or you're not, but I feel like I'm semi out. And I think sometimes with asexuality, it can, I think sometimes people think it's gratuitous in a way that they don't think it is with if you're, if you're gay. Um, I don't know if you, you would agree with that, but I think I've talked to people who've said like, oh, I work in a conservative workplace. And so I feel like I don't want to talk about asexuality because to them, they'll think that I'm literally talking about like my sex life. In a, whereas like if I talk to them about like being, being gay, they'll realize it's about like who I'm partnered with. Like I think there's elements of asexuality that sometimes make it harder to come out. Yeah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, but I think like Sarah and I both kind of live with that as well. You know, we're obviously like, if you look us up, there comes an asexual podcast, and that's very obvious. Um, but I think it's very easy to be straight passing for, especially me, because I am also straight, but for Sarah as well, because people just assume that you are. And so you have to like actively come out to people if you want them to know. There's no like signs that you can be like, oh, I'm going on a date with this girl. And then you're like, oh, they're like not straight, probably. Like there's no casual way to be like i'm ace it's fine yeah and like yeah. you have to bring it up and like because i've i've been told i give off very queer vibes so sometimes people <laughs> people like assume i'm queer but like that they're never gonna assume i'm ace like because that's not where people's brains go and so yeah like i it has to kind of like actively come up and so like i'm out on the internet but like i'm more out on twitter than i am on facebook because it it comes up more on twitter you know like it's 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 a it's a weird thing and then technically the podcast is on my resume so sometimes that just comes up yeah, that's <laughs> like, a weird thing yeah that is weird is that people at work know about it and it's like well we don't have to talk about it though it's fine guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a slightly horrifying story about people and being out. Um, so recently, my my boyfriend was like, oh, my mom asked if we were dating or just friends. And I was like, what? And then he was like, mom, we've been together for four years. And then she was like, oh, I saw on Instagram, she's writing a book about being asexual. And I was just like, I am so sorry. First of all, I don't know how she saw my Instagram is protected. But I'm so sorry that you had to have this conversation with your mom and it's just not a conversation I imagine anyone wants to have especially because it's not even about you so there's all these like complicated parts of it right where like because people don't assume and they don't understand there's no casual way like you it goes all back to the TED talk oh god that sounds not fun at all <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry to your <sighs> boyfriend too <laughs> uh, oh, hard man. time wonderful all right um Kayla, do you have any last questions before we wrap up? I don't think anything specific. I think just generally, like, do you have anything we didn't cover that you, like, really want to plug or, like, really want to get into? No, I think this was a lot of fun. We covered a lot. And it's honestly, and I say this because I've been talking to so many allied journalists, and, you know, I'm very flattered about the attention, but it's really, really nice to talk to fellow aces. Like, it's so nice to not once have to be like, so there's libido, and then there's attraction. So I thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. I, we have, we had a, we had Alice Oseman, who's a fiction author who recently wrote a book with an airways protagonist on. Uh, and she was like, it's so great talking to like a spec interviewers so that I don't have to like, you know, do the TED talk. And I'm like, we're happy to have you. <laughs> Everyone come. Everyone write a book and come on our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Truly, this was like, like we said, I think we said this before we started recording, but like this style of writing where it's like kind of researchy and kind of theoretical kind of gender studies is like my shit and like what I would like to go back to school for one day if I could like do whatever I wanted. So honestly, just Kayla's like, thank you for writing this book. I just love it. <laughs> I'm so glad because the funny thing is, you know, people have been giving me feedback. And I think by far the most common criticism is that maybe a little too dense or, uh, you <laughs> know, and I'm just like, first of all, if that's the worst you can say about it. Great. Let's stick to it's too dense. But second, I'm like, 
maybe sorry, not sorry. I'm also like a very like theory oriented person. And I guess it was inevitable. It was going to be like that. So I'm glad you appreciate it. Is what I'm saying. I did. I loved it very much. And I have a couple friends that are like that too. And I was like, as soon as this book comes out, you're going to read it and we're going to have a nice theory talk about it. <laughs> this has been the fangirl section of the podcast. Good. All right. Well, September 15th, 2020. That book is out. Get it. Get it at your local indie bookseller. Don't do that Amazon shit. Just just going to throw that out there. <laughs> bookshop. Bookshop. Um, yeah. Uh, no, it was excellent. And as a person who was like, that's less my shit, I still had a very grand time reading it. So <laughs> highly recommend to any of our listeners. Um, Kayla, what is our poll for this week? Oh, no. Are you going to read this book? Yes or yes? It's a good poll. I think it's the only poll, really. <laughs> Probably. Do you have any uh, burning questions that you want to put a poll out on Twitter for, Angela? <laughs> I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't think the enough. end of every episode. Maybe I'll think of something spicy in the meantime. Put All right. write that one down. Well, just go to Twitter and find out what our poll is. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> um... Kayla, what is your beef and your juice this week? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, I don't know why you always ask me when you just go first. That's, anyway. It's just the script. I, I, it is. To just change it. Um, <laughs> uh, so because we are recording this a couple weeks ahead of time, so I tried to come up with some timeless beef and juice. <laughs> timeless. <laughs> um, so my time, it's also just vague. My timeless juice is just the concept of art. I like art. I was thinking about it the other day. <laughs> Dude, what the fuck? I think it's good. <laughs> My beef is that I miss everyone because it's month six of quarantine and I don't see people. So that's all. That's fair. My beef is that. Oh, God. You should really start preparing. Yeah, you should, especially when we have guests on. I know, it's very rude of me, I'm sorry. Uh, My beef is that I'm currently between hobbies, I think. If you know me, you know I do. Like, every week there's a new hobby, and I'm kind of, like, between hobbies, so I've been really bored, and, like, Animal Crossing is really sadly, like, not doing it for me right now, which is, like, a very depressing thing to happen. Like, I want to love it like I used to love it, but I feel like it's going away, and I feel bad about it. It's like, I feel guilty about, like, breaking up with someone. Your I don't poor know, I villagers. I, dude, I don't know. I feel, like, really bad about it, but, like, anyway, that's my beef, I guess. <laughs> um, None of that made sense. My juice is... I'm eating Taco Bell soon. Um, also, our Discord is really great. I don't know. I've just like I haven't been in it recently, but I've been watching it like a stalker, and everyone's very sweet. I like how my juice is the concept of art, and yours is Taco Bell. I'm hungry, and there's Taco Bell downstairs. I'm sorry. Oh, excellent. What do you want from well, me? Angela, we've given some examples of really the the large spectrum of things you can say for your for your beef and juice so do you have beef and juice this week yes i think mine are closer to kayla's so my beef is my own hair and this came up because i've been looking at myself as we've been doing this video and you know quarantine like i haven't cut my hair and all of a sudden i'm like why does it look like that look like that i don't like this so that's my beef um my juice is and i think this sounds like an ad but whatever i finally got spotify premium and it really changed my life because I do it while running and you'd be like at like the mile six and suddenly you'd hear like an IHOP ad and it would just really, really just kill any motivation I had. So now I'm like, wow, I can skip and I can choose what song. Anyway, it's, it's really, it's really helping me during this difficult time in everyone's life. We love really Spotify is. premium. You can listen to our I- podcast on Spotify premium. It's just going to sh- throw that out there for, for our Spotify listeners. Spotify really is like I... Spotify really confused me and like how it worked until I got premium because you weren't allowed to like shuffle or pick songs. Right. And it really like, okay, this is definitely an ad, but it saved you so much money. <laughs> I used to have to buy like complete musical cast albums, which is like $15 for one I musical. I used to like buy and everything then- on iTunes. And in like a month, I'm not going to want to listen to that musical anymore. I'm going to want to listen to a different musical and now I can do whatever I want and it's only like whatever amount of money it is i don't remember it just comes off my credit card like i don't know (laughs) 
Anyway, this has been our Spotify ad that no one is paying us for. <laughs> Spotify sponsor us. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you can find our poll, our mystery poll. Who knows what it'll be? And tell us about your beef and your deuce on our social media at Sounds Fake Pod. We also have a Patreon. Hi, it's me, Sarah from the future, here to read you your patrons. Patreon.com slash Sounds Fake Pod. Feel free to support us there. We have a new $2 patron, Ariel Laxo. Thank you, Ariel. Our $5 patrons are Jennifer Smart, Estrita the Nakota, Austin Lay. D- nope. Can't read. Austin Lay. Perry Fierro. D. Quinn Pollock. Emily Collins. Book Marvel. Changing MX. Tarek and Carissa. Simona Simon. Jamie Jack. Jessica Shea. Rhea Faustino. Daniel Walker. Livy. Madeline Askew. Lily. James. Corinne. Alice is in space. Sky Simpson. Brooke Siegel. Ashley W. Savannah Cozart. Harry Haston. Dugan. Soup. Amanda Kiker. Vishak. Jacob Weber. Rory. Amberly Estar. And Rachel. Thank you for joining the party, Rachel. We appreciate you. Our $10 patrons are Kevin and Tessa at Dirty Uncle Kevin at um, Tessa underscore M underscore K. Uh, Arkness, who would like to promote the Trevor Project. Benjamin Abara, who would like to promote Tabletop Games. Anonymous, who would like to promote Halloween. It's coming up. Spooky Halloween. Sarah McCoy, who would like to promote Podcast from a Planet Weird. My Aunt Jeannie, who would like to promote Christopher's Haven. Cassandra, who would like to promote their modeling Instagram at Little Red. Doug Rice, who would like to promote Native by Caitlin Curtis. Maggie Capelpa, who would like to promote her dogs, Leia, Minnie, and Max. All very good dogs. H. Valdez. Purple Chickadee, who would like to promote Initiative O. Barefoot Backpacker, who would like to promote the biggest book of yes. And also the fact that uh, I, I heard his voice um, over the weekend at the um, lovely little Ace Con we did. And he has a very soothing voice. Just going to throw that out there. Also, Ashlyn Bodecker, who used to be a $5 patron but bump up to 10 Thank you, Ashlyn. Uh, she can be found at Schlinbo everywhere. S-H-L-Y-N-N-B-O. Um, also, she mentioned this when we asked her what she wanted to promote. She wanted, she, she said she wanted to promote, um, like, climate change, but not, like, the, n- not in a positive manner. But I would just like to add that, uh, climate change is a problem. It is literally yellow out in LA right now. So, um... I gave you a two for there, Ashlyn. Always, always fun. Our $15 patrons are Nathaniel White, NathanielJWhiteDesigns.com, my mom, Julie, who would like to promote free mom hugs, Sarah Jones, who is at Eternal Lolly Everywhere, Dia Chappelle, who would like to promote the Underrealm series by Garrett Robinson, Andy A., who would like to promote being in unions on the IWW, and Martin, Martin Trezell, who would like to promote mental health, and Dragonfly, who this week would like to promote recording the patrons from your bed like it is 2017 again um yeah cool all right back to sarah from the past angela before we go uh where can the people find you twitter's the best place my handle is chenjala i thought it was very clever when i was in college and i kind of still think it's clever so i think it's pretty good yeah thanks that checks out um do you have anything that you'd like to promote other than your book of course (laughs) No, it's been all book all the time and I cannot wait till it's out so I can think about something else. Honestly, sounds great. <laughs> I'm very excited. I pre-ordered my physical copy and I'm very excited to get it. So yeah, even I'm- if you're listening to this on Sunday, I feel like you can probably still like pre-order it and you probably yeah. shouldn't wait till Tuesday, probably. So Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. They- I mean, I'm, I'm also going to buy a hard copy just because I want it. <laughs> so... They're just buy so the nice book, to folks. Touch. <laughs> buy it. Just go buy it. Buy it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Angela. Uh, thanks for listening, and tune in next Sunday for more Rust in Your Ears. And until then, take good care of your cows. <laughs>